Welcome to a special edition of the Missouri Cannabis Podcast, brought to you by the Mycelial Media Network. Uh, This week on the show, uh, we have John Payne, the campaign manager of Missourians for a New Approach. John Payne was uh, a huge part of getting medical marijuana passed in Missouri, and now we have a recreational bill uh, that might be uh, coming to the forefront. So we wanted to ask him some questions about it. We hope people listen to this and ask more questions, get on our Facebook page, Hoosier Sophisticate. Uh, The group is Sophisticated Hoosiers. Ask your questions there, and uh, hopefully we'll be getting some more answers in time to come. And uh, I mean, think the main point of all this is to get patients' medicine and to get people out of jail over a plant. All nonviolent drug offenders should be out of jail, period. It's bullshit. It's been way too long. Uh, we get into that a little bit, uh, the expungement. If you have any questions about 128, uh, this is the podcast for you. Uh, Nate on cannabis. If you don't follow him, please follow him. He's a great follow on Facebook and YouTube. He's going to have John on soon. Let's ask these questions. Let's get some answers. Let's have these conversations. And uh, let's try to make Missouri the uh, best medicinal and recreational program in the country. Hope you enjoy. A hold-up man, the best was ever known. He came from old Missouri State, where people must be shown. Welcome to the Missouri Cannabis Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Elgin. Now let's do this thing. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, non-binary, sentient, artificial intelligence, and all you smearers alike. You know who you are. Smearers. Smearers, you damn dirty smearers. You damn smearers. 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 Guys, how are you? Steve, what a week, buddy. What a fantastic and phenomenal week again in the life of Steve Elgin. (laughs) Definitely in the life of Craig I Kohler. I just love it, man. We got a big show tonight because we got a... Ooh, we got a juicy interview. People have been frothing at the mouth over and frothing in the pants about. Just frothing everywhere, really. (laughs) We are going to chat with, I believe, the campaign manager for what will be known as Initiative uh, 2020-128, the rec bill, the cannabis rec bill. We want to figure out what's going on. People have questions. If you got your questions, put them in the chat. Watch us on Facebook, Hoosier Sophisticate, Sophisticated Hoosiers. Mycelial media on YouTube, no doubt. Why not? If you want to email us questions, you can email us at twain t w a i n at mycelial.media. Yeah, I'm not going to get to those tonight, um, but no, we might check them. We might no. check them during. We'll, we'll we got a lot going on. We got a lot going on. Listen, we're going to chat with John Payne. People have questions. We have questions. Everybody has questions. We're still in a state of uh, maybe a little bit of confusion about where we're at with the medical bill and how things are rolling out there. Um, and honestly, I see, we've talked about this. I see a community divided, 
you know, a community divided. Um, oh, no and doubt. so at this point, we're going to try and have a conversation. Let's advance the uh, the dialogue a little bit. No doubt. And John's a great dude. He talked to us when we were two Bobos with an H6 recorder down at Gazellig. At Gazellig. For uh, a birthday party. It was actually Matt Blind's yes, uh, it was. birthday party. Yes, but it was, it was also a Show Me Cannabis fundraiser at Gazellig. And John sat down How many with a years couple ago? of... John said three. John sat down with a couple oh, of guys who decided ago. this is what we were going to do. Uh, and... Gave us a great interview, yeah. a cogent interview. He's been on the show twice uh, when we were still in the palatial 920 yeah. studios. Uh, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to chat with John a little bit. We're going to try and ask some questions. We hope that you guys uh, will uh, give, us, give us some more questions. Or Hopefully don't. some of the questions we ask uh, lead to maybe more questions. And ultimately, that's how we're going to get to the bottom of this whole thing. Yeah. I'm excited. We're a community, but I got all the questions, so you guys can just stay at home for this one. Because Daddy brought his big boy pants. I wrote them down. What? <laughs> wrote shit down you before wrote, a show? Dude, what? He, listen, I just want to shout out my guy here. The amount of work that he is able to to do to put this thing together. Uh, we did a lot today. Bobby Battlehawk showed up to, oh, to give you? us a week, too. Bobby Battlehawk came in here, broke down, flat broke down some XFL football day. Oh, flat got after it. Flat got after it. And, and you're also going to get the chance to see us try to maneuver a Skype call while live on the air. So yeah. share this feed. Share it for anyone you think would be interested in knowing what's going to happen with marijuana in Missouri. Because no we're going to figure it out. Figure it all out tonight. No doubt. Wreck and uh, medicinal. What no else doubt. is there? <laughs> uh, listen, the good thing is, is that whether or not this works, it plays right into our, both of our humiliation fetishes. So if we look like assholes on here, just know that we're enjoying it as much as we're we're going to hate it. <laughs> All right, let's go to the desktop here. We're going to go over here and see that. That's that's oh, there he is. Test call. Right there. Let's go ahead and give him a give him a little shout. Let's click on the so click, on, click on right him. there. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then what okay, do we do we're right gonna now? go ahead and accept that bad boy right there. He wants to connect. He wants okay. to connect. This no is like he do. this is like cybering all over again. <laughs> I like this. Now do I hit this. Now you just need to get out. Yeah. Uh actually hit the other one because he's just he's just gonna do a regular call today. I wanna I wanna just let's let's see what he does. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do it this. JP. <laughs> Maybe my favorite Pope of my lifetime. I don't know. Old JP. There he is. John Payne. What's happening, brother? Mike, can you give me the uh, desk? Make sure the desktop audio is on. Not you. I got gotcha. you. Steve's got me. We're, we're doing all the buttons, bells, and whistles here, brother. We got you on live. What's up? All right, John. We're, uh, we're just a couple of bobos. You know who we are. We're not surprising you here. Uh, we need to kind of try and break this thing down a little bit. And just to give everybody an idea of who you are, what we're, what you're doing, uh, what you've done in the past. Uh, what was your role in the in rolling out the medical program? Uh, so I was the campaign manager for Amendment Two. Uh, I helped write uh, part of the amendment. Well, I helped write the amendment with a number of other people, uh, and then I managed all the day to day affairs of the campaign to put it on the ballot and pass it in 2018. Uh, and since then, I, I founded my own consultancy, and then I am now also the campaign manager for Missourians for a New Approach, which seeks to legalize the adult use of marijuana in Missouri here in 2020. Okay, let's talk. Let's uh, let's talk about how the bill has been rolled out so far. The uh, medicinal bill. How do you feel like that? The rollout as as far as we've come so far. How has that been in your eyes? 
Uh, I mean, I think it's really been good. Uh, I know that there is uh, some controversy surrounding the licensing, but, you know, I, I do really consider that to be a secondary issue. Uh, the primary issue is uh, our patients being able to get into the program and uh, being free from arrest and prosecution. And the answer to that is an overwhelming yes. Uh, you know, the, the Mizzou study predicted that we would have 29,000 patients in the state of Missouri after three years, uh, and we're already close to 35,000. That doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Uh, so, you know, that's the I think that's the main thing, and that has been very successful. Uh, and I do think that, you know, we're going to have uh, access uh, to commercial uh, dispensaries, cultivation, infused products, uh, you know, in the near future. Uh, you know, there will probably be, I know there's going to be a lot of appeals on some of these, but, uh, there's going to be operations and, uh, that is, that's, there's going to be patient access. John, what does it look like to get a, a bill introduced? Can, can we, as, as citizens, can we kind of write up any language and provided we get the signatures, are they obligated to, to, you know, put it to a vote? More or less. Uh, but so the, the first phase of any initiative campaign is that you have to uh, draft the actual uh, you know, petition that you want uh, with the language of uh, either the statute or the amendment that you want to put on the ballot. Uh, and that it has to be sent first to the Secretary of State's office. Uh, and what the Secretary of State does is they send that to the Attorney General's office and to the Auditor's office. Uh, the attorney general reviews the the amendment or the statute for uh, what's called facial validity, meaning you know the uh, whether it's uh, constitutional at all, if there's any uh, anything that would make it uh, unconstitutional or illegal right on its face, uh, and then uh, the state auditor's office reviews it for a fiscal note. And generates, uh, you know, the thing at the end of the ballot language that says, here's how much money the state expects to bring in, and here's the cost expected, and here's how much local governments expect. And then finally, the Secretary of State's office prepares a 60-word summary of everything that is in the amendment. And now, in this case, the amendment's, you know, 20-plus pages long, uh, and many of these proposals, especially the statutory ones, can be 50, 60 pages, even 100 pages long. Uh, and so, you know, 60 words, and they have pretty broad discretion on how they do that. Uh, and so that can really be a major factor in whether you succeed or fail, uh, because if uh, the Secretary of State's office gives you ballot language that makes your life difficult, uh, even if everything, you know, you could have two identical amendments, but if the ballot language is, uh, you know, harder on one, on than on the other uh, presents it in a more negative light, uh, it can really sink you. Uh, so that's that's phase one. Uh, then you actually have to go out and gather the signatures, and you have to get about 170,000 valid signatures, and they have to be distributed in across six of the eight uh, congressional districts in the state in a number proportionate to 8% of the votes cast in the last gubernatorial election in each of those six uh, congressional districts. Uh, and that's that is pretty daunting. It's a it's not an easy task. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's not that difficult. Well, it's, it's difficult to get the total number of signatures. But really, what makes it especially difficult is getting them across all those congressional districts, because while it's very easy to get signatures in, say, uh, the city of St. Louis, which is Congressional District 1, or Kansas City, which is Congressional District 5, uh, then you start getting out into the more rural area, areas of the state, uh, and it can, be, it can be quite difficult indeed. I mean, is that where the Missourians for New Approach come in? Is it, I guess it's a mass effort to, 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 for such a massive 
undertaking? Is that the role of uh, Missourians for a new approach now? Yeah, I mean, that's the role of any campaign committee that's uh, uh, seeking to pass a ballot initiative is to, uh, you know, organize all the people and the resources necessary uh, to gather that many signatures. Because, I mean, uh, when, when you're talking about 170,000 valid signatures, you're really talking about like 300,000 or so uh, total signatures. And that's you know, without having uh, some some major organizing force behind that. It's 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 not possible. Gotcha. Um, I loved what you said earlier about keeping people out of prison. I mean, that's like one of my main focuses from the beginning, mainly because the man's been hassling me for a long time. Lay off me, man. I'm just trying <laughs> Get to off me. Get off me. Um, but that, that's been one of my, my main focuses. Now, we have seen issues with like Jamie Wilson and, and cases where it seems like the people who are following the rules right now are still being hassled. Does Missourians for New Approach have any role in that? Or how are we uh, moving forward? Forward, trying to uh, move past some of those things. So as a, uh, a campaign committee is by law, basically all it can do is campaign for its uh, for its particular issue. That's that's what it exists to do. And that's all it can do. It's uh, the, we're, we're bound by Missourians for uh, the, the uh, Missouri Ethics Commission's rules on what a campaign committee can do in that regard. Uh, but certainly, you know, a lot of the people involved have been advocating for uh, for people like Jamie Wilson and others who have been uh, following the rules and, the, you know, kind of. Uh, their local law enforcement or what have you did not get the memo. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I can say that uh, uh, people have been pressing uh, all the buttons possible to try to make sure that that, uh, that message gets out to law enforcement that, hey, these are the rules uh, and it doesn't matter necessarily where the patient got their, their cannabis at this point. Uh, if they are below, if they have their card and they're below the limits on uh, that are established by the Constitution and by DHSS regulations, then you're not supposed to hassle them, uh, police officer. That is. Uh, and so uh, th this is kind of the case. Anytime there's a, a change like this. Some people just aren't going to go along with it quietly. And, uh, you know, I, I, but I think the courts are going to and have, uh, it appears, you know, in this case said, hey, we're, we're throwing this case out because the guy was in the right. So uh, it's very unfortunate that it happened. But I, I do think that we're it's it, it will be set right by the judicial system. I'm generally, you know, in a, in a clear cut case like that, uh, you, you rarely have a judge that's going to go the other way. Am I I'm, I'm, am I correct in assuming that New Approach Missouri and Missourians for a New Approach are, are pretty much totally different entities? Maybe New Approach Missouri um, dissolves after, you know, their their goal is is is, um, you know, completed. I guess we got it on the bill. So there was no need for New Approach Missouri more. Is New Approach Missouri and Missourians for a New Approach a different, you know, two different entities? Yeah, I mean, they're they are different entities because, again, they exist for separate purposes of one existed to pass the uh, the medical amendment. And then this one exi exists to pass this adult use amendment. So, so um, with with those two initiatives, are we talking about the same kind of primary funding? Uh, is this was was new approach Missouri? You know, did this were, is it a rid pretty much the same drafters? I know you were involved in both. Um, are we talking about the same kind of local influence, same kind of money coming in here? There's, I mean, there's some questions surrounding, you know, who's actually funding this initiative. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the same uh, same basic group of people, uh, myself and Jack Cardetti, who is the general consultant on the previous campaign, uh, have kind of led the led the effort in terms of organizing it. Uh, the same uh, campaign attorney that uh, drafted the bulk of uh, you know, basically did all the actual drafting on the medical amendment. Uh, Brad Ketcher, he also did the drafting on on this amendment. Uh, and then, you know, it's uh, we've involved, uh, you know, a lot of the people from the, the normal chapters and also from uh, a lot of the uh, some of the, the national organizations that have uh, pushed for drug policy reform across the country, such as New Approach PAC, the Marijuana Policy Project, Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, they were all involved in this one just as they were in the last one. Uh, and you know, pretty much the same same coalition as we had last time. And then just a follow up, maybe a little bit redundant, but is there a larger umbrella, uh, maybe trying to pass similar initiatives in other states? So, in other words, is somebody Montana for new approach, or Oklahoma for new approach, or Kansas for new approach? Are, are, is that all kind of underneath the same umbrella of things, or pushing uh, kind of a similar? I mean, I think all the the drug policy reform organizations, uh, are, you know, if you the new approach is uh, generally uh, been backed by, uh, if you see a state campaign committee that has that name, then that's generally been backed by those those national organizations that have supported it. Right on. Um, how do you feel like? Okay, we had the, the medicinal bill. The rollout has been good. How does your timeline work from after the medicinal bill rolls out? Do you guys immediately start thinking? wreck because we have this wave of momentum or what's the thought process there uh, i mean honestly that was that was not my thought process uh I, you know i i was not i was skeptical of this uh we did uh we did some polling over the over the summer or actually maybe late spring and uh pleasantly surprised by the results uh and yeah it, it does appear that there is that you know passing the medical amendment uh created real momentum uh, because uh, it's a it's a substantial jump in the in the level of support than what we had seen prior to passing the medical amendment uh, for for adult use. So I mean, I, I was frankly a little bit like, is is this the right year? And then I saw those results and I said, well, all right, <laughs> if this is the shot, we should take it. Okay, uh, we're going to get into kind of how the language um, you know differs between the two or what this does to the current legislation. But like, it's I guess because you weren't involved in the beginning. Is it, I mean, is it a fair maybe, uh, I don't know, accusation, assumption that maybe this were they, were they were written around the same time? Like, is the language pretty well similar to where maybe some of the, what are, what some people are viewing as pitfalls in the medical program were maybe also included in this because they were drafted at the same time? Well, they weren't drafted at the same time, but I mean, they were drafted. Uh, we certainly kept to the mostly the same sort of framework uh, on on this amendment as we did on Amendment Two. That's that's certainly true, uh, and you know, kind of the way I view it is: look, this is a uh, the, that is not a panacea. It is not the be all end all. There's still work to do after this passes, uh, but it's a solid framework, a foundation on which you can build uh, and, you know, through the regular course of uh, the political process, push for further reforms. Uh, and so, you know, you try to set a baseline for uh, this is this is all going to be legal now. And this is, you know, this is what the state has to do uh, in order to get that operational. But can we go beyond that? Certainly. Uh, but that's a then those questions kind of have to fall to us moving forward. Gotcha. Uh, can you break down 128 for us a little bit and then how 128 would affect the current medicinal bill? 
Sure. So, uh, you know, 128 would end the arrest and prosecution of people for uh, possession of marijuana uh, in the state of Missouri. Anyone over the age of 21, it would be legal. And that, you know, starting on, I guess, uh, December 3rd, should this pass into law, uh, you know, the decriminalization aspects of it would immediately go into effect. uh, And, you know, you would be able to possess and not uh, have to worry about prosecution. You would also be able to expunge uh, any anything that is now legal, so possession, uh, small scale cultivation, uh, uh, small small time distribution, all those charges could be automatic or not automatically expunged, but you could they would be non discretionary for the court to expunge it. If you apply, they have to they have to grant that expungement, uh, and then also it would set up a, a commercial program. Uh, you know, the medical program would kind of uh, roll into the adult use program, and then we also grant uh, new micro licenses. Uh, that would be uh, targeted for specifically for individuals uh, who are designated as uh, uh, you know economically disadvantaged. Uh, on the medical, a lot of the uh, the licenses were it said you know for a positive economic impact in the site community. And I think one of the things we saw is well people might locate in a specific community, but the ownership doesn't actually come from there. And on the micro licenses, you know the ownership is specifically has to come from uh, individuals who are designated as economically disadvantaged. Uh, and then also, yeah, it does set up a, a tax rate on, on marijuana, uh, and that would be 15%, which is lower than Colorado, lower than Oregon, lower, much lower than California or Illinois. I believe it would actually be the lowest, at least in terms of any that are uh, percentage-wise. Uh, there are some states that are it's a flat dollar figure, so it kind of makes it difficult to put that in percentage terms. But any of the states that have a tax that is percentage uh, we would be the second lowest behind, surprisingly enough, Massachusetts has the has the lowest. Uh, but so a fairly low tax rate uh, that will both provide quite a bit of revenue for the state, but then also still keep the taxes low enough uh, to eliminate the illegal market. Can you I'm, I'm sorry there for just a little bit on the micro licenses. So is, will that be a whole new um, licensing process, I assume? Like, is there is that is that going to be something where people that applied? I don't I don't imagine that anything that applied to people trying to get a medical license would really have anything to do with the recreational license. Or am I wrong? There is like is there some kind of favor for having a medical license or um, or if you had already put in for a medical license, can you essentially return that in for for a micro license or is it are the requirements going to look a little bit different there? I'm sorry. Can you fill that in for me a little bit? So the micro licenses is a is a new process, uh, and actually, if you're a, if you are a holder of one of the current medical licenses, you actually cannot apply for one of the micro licenses. Uh, so it's specifically trying to you know kind of uh, uh, point at a, a social equity uh, aspect here uh, for people that maybe were not able to get into the uh, the medical marketplace. Uh, and but the uh, uh, you know the medical licenses, if someone is licensed under that, then they would be able to apply for uh, to you know basically sell on the adult use market. Would they have any kind of? Is there any language in there that kind of gives them um, first dibs on those licenses since they already have an established cannabis business in the state? Uh, 
Yeah, they would be the ones that would be able to, to operate first in the state. That's been the case in every state that has passed this. That's, you know, uh, the way it has happened uh, just now in Illinois. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why it was they, they were able to roll that out, uh, you know, within within a year uh, of passing uh, adult use legalization. They were able to have their first sales. And so, you know, the, the goal there is to be able to get this up and running as, as quickly as possible. John, <clears throat> we have a lot of people in the group and a lot of people seem to be upset that there weren't more licenses awarded right off the bat um what do you what do you have any idea of maybe what was dhs uh SS's, um thought process or why they limited that and would you maybe in in your thought process maybe would have wished they would have allowed more licenses what are your thoughts on that I mean, sure. Uh, so speaking as uh, individually here, uh, just, uh, you know, my my libertarian side, sure, I, I'd have uh, no problem if they had no cap on the number of licenses. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't uh, really speculate to exactly uh, DHSS's uh, thought process, process currently. But, you know, I think that they figured well, the path of least resistance initially is to issue the uh, the minimum number of licenses and then see how that rolls out. And that also probably gives them, uh, you know, wiggle room in terms of, uh, you know, people will appeal. And so then they're able to uh, grant more licenses down the road. But, you know, that's uh, I, I can't say that for certain, but I would expect that. Some of those appeals are going to be successful. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on the numbers, but I think that's that's likely to be the case. Just based on the cost that people have, you know, already invested in this, and I'm, I'm with you on the libertarian side, I think ideally, I think a perfect market, and maybe we can expound on this a little bit, is one that kind of grants licenses and lets people, um, you know, sink or swim based on their own business acumen. Um, but I, I can't ask you to speculate why DHS has would do that but after seeing kind of the fallout i guess or, and and kind of the community that was left hanging would is there a reason why that we keep like a, a even a language that says they have to grant a minimum is could could you just as easily say you have to grant all of them that meet these requirements it what would be the, like is that something that the secretary of state could could kick out of there or why not write that up because i think that's kind of what oklahoma had i know oregon had a much more uh, progressive you know open licensing deal what is the what's the purpose there for even having you know barriers on that yeah. So, I mean, uh, you, you certainly could do that as a matter of law, uh, you know, but it is there are reservations that people have about uh, about this. Uh, and so they might support legalization, but they worry, well, I don't want, you know, three dispensaries on a, on a single street corner. Uh, and, you know, that's not a concern I necessarily share, but it is it is certainly a concern that people have. And so it's uh, you do still have to convince you know, 51 percent of Missouri voters to vote for this. And uh, while there is strong support for legalization in general, uh, when you start getting into those sorts of details, you know, it, it can you can lose support pretty quickly if you try to push things uh, too far. And there's essentially three ways that we could have dealt with that. Uh, we could have said in the amendment, uh, hey, this is the maximum number of licenses in the state. And we certainly didn't want to do that. Uh, we could have said the licenses will be, you know, shall be unlimited and prevent the legislature or the department from instituting any sort of limit. And I think that was, you know, we kind of viewed that as not 
not politically feasible. Uh, or you can say, hey, th there's no maximum number, but here's the minimum number that you have to issue. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's the route we took. And look, that's that's the route that pretty much every state has has taken. I grant you the point of Oklahoma. I, I've been surprised that that has uh you know, because the language in Oklahoma is not all that specific. I think the legislature could have come in and instituted limits, and much to my surprise, they, they have not. Uh, but pretty much every other state, in some form or fashion, has a limit on the number of licenses, and it either happens at the state level or at the local level. Uh, I mean, even in Colorado, most counties are dry. Uh, you know, Denver and its surrounding areas are uh, allow for adult use dispensaries. Uh, but, you know, you go to Colorado Springs, that is not the case. Most of the state still does not allow adult use dispensaries. Uh, and that's the case in, in California as well. Uh, so, you know, it's a uh, there's in almost in every state, pretty much there is some some form of limitation on the licensing process. I'm 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 with you on that. I, I you know again I I'm, I can't think of anything else, and maybe maybe you can. I just can't think of any other product that comes to market that we essentially bottleneck like this. Where, I mean, it'd be one thing if we had you know what was it sixty licenses granted and it went to sixty different entities. Um, it looks like a lot of uh, bigger you know conglomerates maybe ended up with multiple licensing maybe something like 37 got the, the total licenses of the 60 cultivation yeah my question is and and this i mean no offense by it but i i i wonder you know is is well, language, definitely means offense i don't by mean it. offense it, by it but i'm trying that, to open it up uh you know like if does language like that essentially prop up a consultant business like I, I don't think I don't think it would get rid of it because I think a consultant would still be be necessary to get you the minimum requirements to get your your business through but is there a case to be made that you know um, you're you're essentially creating this other revenue stream this this uh, go-between of, of people entering the market and essentially just you know throwing a bunch of money at it and ultimately being out their savings? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I think that it would, uh, if there was uh, an unlimited number, you'd still uh, theoretically. I mean, I would think you'd have even more uh, consultant work uh, going around because you'd have more licensees, more people applying, and yeah, maybe the uh, the applications are not as you know, it's not competitive, but people would still be hired to fill them out. I mean, there's a ton of uh, a ton of consultants out in Colorado who every year, however often the renewal process is, fill out those uh, the, the, the applications for renewal for all these uh, all these companies. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that there is uh, it, it's I, yeah, I, I don't see it as necessarily uh, propping up the consultant business. In fact, I think the consultant business might do even better uh, if the if the licenses were unlimited. Okay. I mean, that's, that, that, sure. that's fair. I'm trying, you know, we're trying to, to figure out here. So again, so moving forward here, and I don't know if, if the state, I'm not even sure how it worked out with medical, who it was. We think we, we had a cat on the show that actually scored uh, the applications that went through here. Uh, but uh, what, what I guess is the same group going to be trusted by the state? Is there going to be another bidding process on who scores these? Are we going to handcuff DHSS to actually do the work to score these? Is is that something that maybe we're having some regrets about, about the third party that ended up scoring this and, and maybe kind of some of the inconsistencies there? 
So, uh, you know, I, I, the, there is certainly no uh, the, the, the scoring company that was hired to do the medical scoring. There is no reason to think that they would be the ones hired to do it again. It would be a blind scoring process, but that could be done by DHS in-house uh, or it could be bid out uh, to be bid on again by, you know, any number of companies. Uh, you know, I, I will say, and uh, this is again kind of you know my personal take on it. Uh, I do think there are some inconsistencies in the in the scoring. So you know, I, I think that there, we're going to see some uh, uh, some of this play out through the the administrative hearing commission, and there's going to be some successful successful suits over there. Uh, and that's you know, look, we provided a method of uh, of relief for people that were unjustly denied through the amendment. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can ever devise a perfect process, uh, but what you can do is devise a good process uh, that is then also you know, has a form of judicial review of due process. Uh, and that's what we did. And, you know, due process, it may not be fast, uh, but I, I think it usually does get the right outcome. Um, you mentioned something about expungement, and that's what I love about the 128 bill. Uh, and, and like you can apply for expungement and they have to grant it to you. Are we talking about everybody from pounds and growing the biggest amount ever? Like, are, are those people off the hook now in Missouri? So that's a little bit complicated uh, in terms of, you know, like if you're talking about pounds, huge amounts, uh, because uh, that is something that would still be illegal for an individual person to do without a license. So uh, that would not necessarily be expungable right off the bat. It would at least be discretionary. And what we've seen, though, in other states is that generally speaking, the courts say, yes, we're going to go ahead and expunge that, uh, even if it, this is discretionary to us, uh, because people have clearly said this is something they don't want to be illegal. But to, to write that into law can be a little bit tricky, uh, because if you're saying, hey, uh, you know, this is all expungable, uh, then what happens if, uh, you know, a guy is growing, uh, has 150,000 pounds of marijuana uh, uh, down the road and is arrested for that, uh, that was, you know, grown for the black market. He sounds uh, like a hell of a guy to me, John. Sounds like a hell of a guy. <laughs> the medicine well, man is what but, I call him. But then, but then he's arrested and he's convicted and then he would just immediately apply for expungement uh and yep. so it's, it's it's difficult to write that in terms of uh how, how do you create that uh how do you create an expungement process for something that is not being made legal hmm. all right i know the taxes are a little bit lower uh than most states i mean some of illinois is insane right now but i always i'm always curious about the veterans uh the tax that goes to the veterans and and first let me let me uh, preface that with do the rec bill and the med bill just work right alongside one another? Is that how this is going to work? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so the medical program would still exist. Uh, medical patients would keep their 4% tax rate uh, compared to the 15% tax rate. And we also do make some changes to the medical program that are uh, good for patients. Uh, we add in reciprocity uh, for patients from other states who have cards. They're currently protected from uh, you know, arrest and prosecution as long as they have their card and are under their limits. Uh, but this would actually allow them to go into dispensaries and purchase here in Missouri. Uh, and then we also uh, change the length of a card uh, in Missouri to three years. Uh, excuse me. So, uh, you know, a person would only have to uh, go to a doctor once uh, on, in those three years to get their certification. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the patient ID card lasts for three years. Okay. And uh, like, just to get specific on the veterans groups, like, do we know exactly where that goes or if it just goes into a damn slush fund, my friend, but like, you know, I always want to get specific on that stuff. You got any thoughts or know where that, ha what that happens with that. 
So, I mean, uh, the Veterans Commission would have discretion over that. But uh, okay. so essentially what the, the Veterans Commission in the state currently does is they they run uh, homes for uh, disabled and aging veterans. That's one of their big, uh, big services. Uh, they do provide uh, some some health services to veterans. Uh, and those are uh, and in the in the medical amendment. And I believe that also in this, uh, the adult use amendment. We call out specific, you know, healthcare services, uh, counseling services, uh, job placement services, etc., et uh, as the specific things that uh, in the in the veterans fund that we wanted to go for. Awesome. If if one twenty eight passes, how hard is it to like make a change to it? Is there making any changes to it if it passes? Like, I'm just wondering if we're moving too fast or before it passes. Or bef- yeah, yeah, good <laughs> good point. Is there any any changes can be done to it, or is it kind of set in stone now? So uh, at least in theory, you know, there is a possibility of changing it beforehand. But the, the issue is a, a logistical one because uh, it takes about two months to get something approved by the secretary of state and the signatures are due by May 3rd. So that's just uh, at, the, at this point in time is pretty much a, a dead letter. Uh, and, you know, it can't be amended by the legislature or uh, you know, by the department after it passes. Uh, but again, kind of like I was what I was saying is uh, the legislature and the department can pass any rule or law that is consistent with the amendment. Uh, so, you know, for instance, uh, we were talking about licensing. Uh, so, you know, they, they could always say, hey, look, here's the minimum number. Uh, but the, the legislature now thinks there should be more or there should be no limit. They could pass a law that says there's no limit or the, the, the number should be this. Uh, and as long as they're not going below the minimum, they can they can pass that law. How does the 15 percent get split up among the state? What kind of what kind, what is that? What does that fund? What kind of programs does that fund? Yeah. So uh, and I'm going to you know mess the exact percentages up. But uh, the uh, part of it does also go to the veterans. Uh, and one thing we wanted to make sure, because, uh, you know, there's probably going to be some uh, amount of money that is uh, spent less on the medical program in terms of how many people are purchasing through the medical program. Uh, if adult use uh, happens, some people will just forgo getting a card and just purchase through the adult use program. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that uh, the Veterans Commission didn't lose any money with this passing. And in fact, we'll gain a little bit of money from this. Uh, so we, we assured that. Uh, and then we also uh, put in some money for drug drug treatment and drug abuse prevention uh, that would go to the Missouri Department of Mental Health, uh, and then uh, some money for uh, infrastructure, roads and bridges in particular, and then finally three uh, percent of the fifteen percent, so one fifth of the tax revenue, would go to cities that that uh, have retail dispensaries or allow for retail dispensaries, uh, and so they would be able to use that money uh, as they as they see fit for their general revenues. So, you know, when it comes, I, I understand, you know, kind of reaching across the aisle, trying to figure out how to get things passed and, and make it flavorful for everything. I think Missourians, uh, even though we passed cannabis, medical cannabis, I think it was the highest voted on uh, thing in the state in 18 with almost 70 percent. Um, you know, I think that uh, this maybe addresses some road taxes, things like that, that the that Missourians have voted down and people have said, well, they're going to get it anyway. I kind of have a hard time piggybacking it on top of this, but not to editorialize or anything. When, when it talks about the, the, the rehab uh, for mental services and everything, is that public programs or is that for like for-profit rehabs? That is public programs. Uh, you know, they could, uh, uh, and yeah, there's no reason to think that they're going to give it to for-profit rehabs. Those are generally not, uh, you know, 
get a, they don't usually get a whole lot of government money. Uh, they do now get uh, what they do get a lot of is people that are sort of forced into rehab, primarily people who use marijuana uh, that uh, then, you know, they have to go to a rehab uh, service. And so they end up going there and they pay they pay for it. Uh, but no, this would not uh, necessarily be anything like that. Uh, I suppose it would be in the, within the state's power to do that. But uh, this is more, you know, trying to make sure like, uh, you know, the people have access to uh, things to help them get off of opioids and prevent opioid overdoses, uh, those sorts of services. Okay. All right. Uh, under 128. Can I, I've got a bunch of weed. My buddy's on hard times. Can I give my friend cannabis? Can and, I sell him? And cannabis? I want to say that's from Nate on cannabis on no our doubt. text feed. Do not do his show. He's a terrible <laughs> human. I'll say it right now. No, Nate on cannabis is one of our, our great buddies. And that's what I've always wondered too. The, the gifting. Can we gift under 128? Yes. Yes, you can. How as as much as I can, or <laughs> how the limits? Well, the limits? It, it, okay, it does it does have to be under the possession limit of uh, you know uh, I believe that the, the the department can establish a limit of uh, un, at least, you have to at least be able to have one ounce, uh, and so you can give up to an ounce away automatically. I think the department could could have a higher limit. Uh, but yeah, as long as you're under that limit, then you can you can gift it, uh, but you cannot sell it unless you have a license. What does it do for, uh, because it works alongside with, with, with medical patients, you said that I, as a medical patient, get to keep my 4% tax and buy at those rates. How about when it comes to um, our home grows and our caregivers? Do, are my plant counts going to be, um, are they going to be affected by this language? And as a recreational user, what are my plant counts going to look like? Or does it just make it all one thing? No, it's uh, there. There are two different plant counts. Uh, patients would keep their six per, uh, six plant count, uh, which the department you know defines as six mature plants and six plants under uh, I forget the exact uh, inches, the, yep. the exact heights, but basically six you know immature plants and then six seedlings more or less. Uh, and then for uh, you know adult use, anyone uh, could cultivate three plants, uh, and presumably the department would have similar rules on the, the immature plants and the seedlings to go along with that. Does the language state that right now, or is that, would that be left up to them? Is it, does it just say three plants or does it say three in, at each level? It says three, uh, you know, uh, I forget the exact term, three flowering plants. Uh, and so, you know, it does not specifically call out, uh, any of the, there is no specified limit on other, other types of plants. Uh, and so that was, you know, under the, under amendment two, that was also, that was the same way. Uh, and essentially the department came in and said, here's the, here's what we think the limits on, uh, the, the immature plants should be. Uh, and you know, I, I think they would likely follow that same framework here. I don't know. That was great. <laughs> that was great. I mean, it, uh, it you know, uh, we're trying to get it the all out there. The gifting and growing um, is You know, I, I mean, things. I think that the gifting and the growing. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I I have my I, I feel like the market is the people and I and I know that, you know, uh separating the two of them, uh, you know, for whatever we we feel like getting prisoners out right now, um how do you have a rough idea of how many people are in prison that that we're passing this expungement for would yeah, it even was there even an idea to until we got the language right to maybe just put an expungement forward because people were so supportive of cannabis or did it did it feel like you just need to do it all at once in order to you know in order to just kind of not wear missourians out with this on every ballot 
Well, it's also it's just a very time consuming and expensive process. So, I mean, you kind of have to, uh, you know, uh, do a lot of it at once. Uh, and, you know, the, the traditional way it's been done in other states is uh, medical and adult use. And, uh, you know, some states don't have even have the expungement language in there. Uh, but, uh, you know, any any time that that mostly recently uh, they they all have. And so we definitely wanted to include that here. And I don't know exactly how many people actually imprisoned the this would account for, but I can give you an idea of how big the scope of this would probably be. Uh, you know, there's about 22,000 people that are arrested every year uh, in the state of Missouri for uh, some kind of marijuana offense. And most of that, the vast, vast majority of that, about 20,000 of those arrests is for simple possession. Uh, and this is actually, uh, there are only four states that arrest more people than us, and that's Texas, New York, uh, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey all of whom have much larger populations than we do. Uh, I mean, New Jersey is the smallest of those, and it has about 10 million people compared to our 6 million. So we have maybe the highest per capita rate of arrest. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that all of those arrests lead to convictions, but we, it's safe to assume that the vast majority do. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about probably hundreds of thousands of people that would be able to expunge those records uh, and no longer have to say, yes, I have this misdemeanor or yes, I have this felony uh, for, for marijuana. And, you know, we talked about appeals a little bit and with DHSS and all of these people that are appealing and some of them are going to win, which is going to be another insanely expensive process. Is DHSS using the money that we've raised with licensing and, and through – well, I guess there really hasn't even been a whole lot of tax revenue because we don't have medical dispensaries open yet. But is DHSS right now allowed to use the funds that we are raising in the state via licensing to defend themselves in court? That is uh, that is the case presently. Uh, you know, I would say that there is uh, the, the the legislature and the governor's office could have something to say about that. So, you know, that is uh, uh, it is uh, any of that money that's not spent would go to the veteran services. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, this is again, there's uh, there are remedies that are available to people through the ordinary political means. And, you know, I, I think if you want to call up your legislator or call up the governor's office and say, hey, I don't think the, the department should be uh, spending money on this. Uh, you are well within your rights to do so and if the dhs i mean i'm just doing follow that train a little bit if the dhss couldn't fund their legal what would that even look like if somebody was was suing for appeals what, what would that even look like if we stripped that funding I mean, I, they would probably have to settle the vast, vast majority of those in some some way uh, or they would you know, lose because they couldn't. You know, the, the attorney general's office does defend the entities of the state uh, to the extent that they can. But uh, there's only so much that they could possibly do in house. Uh, so, you know, that would it would it would definitely uh, make it difficult for them to uh, actively defend a lot of those cases. Now, it seems like the, the grassroots movement was all pulling in the right direction for medicinal. And now it seems like it's uh, the grassroots is either divided or maybe against it, it from what we've seen just in the chat rooms. And I know it's naive to think people live on the, the AOL on social media. chat. Yes. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. I don't think it was the case that it was united when it was. Uh, when well, it we seems so good medical. in my memory. 
I got an ass. Well, I, I think I, I think there was uh, I think there was a period from when we got on the ballot uh, to, you know, when the, the application started, that was uh, kind of everyone uh, felt very good about it. But this is I mean, th- this process is actually kind of a lot like a primary, uh, you know, uh, until something actually gets on the ballot, people kind of fight about it. And then uh, it, there tends to be a unifying effect when it's like, OK, no, this is actually either going to be voted on. You can either vote for this or you can not. Uh, and that that tends to be the point where people kind of come on board and some don't. But, you know, that's usually there were definitely people that were opposed to the medical amendment uh, that after it got on the ballot said, OK, no, I'm 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 behind this. I'm agreeing with it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, a similar phenomenon here. Uh, and, you know, look, I'm not, you know, if people want to pursue, I know there was another proposal that was out there. I, I think the, the Secretary of State rejected it. But, you know, if there were other uh, people pursuing, sign- gathering signatures on it, I, you know, I wish them well. I, I'm uh, I'm not saying that I have, like, uh, all all knowing and perfect vision on what this this should be. Uh, I think, you know, uh, let, let people go and uh, pursue uh, the, the every path they, they want to. Uh, we'll see, you know, who can get the signatures, who can get on the ballot, and then the voters get to decide. Uh, you know, I'm, I believe in the process more than I believe in any one particular proposal. Okay. Now we got a, a couple questions off the text line. Uh, now, can we sell small amounts like at a farmer's market? If 128 passes, can you sell little tinctures at the farmer's market yourself? Infused baked goods. Yeah. Not you would have to have some kind of license. If you have a micro license, you'd be able to do that. Uh, but it would not be something that uh, you could uh, do uh, purely without uh, some kind of license. Now, I would say that, you know, under the current hemp program in Missouri, uh, you'd still have to have a license. But I mean, it's a pretty, pretty open process. And so that that does have uh, any any form of, uh, you know, CBD or anything like that. Uh, that's uh, very low THC that that can be done with uh, with a hemp license. So uh that that is definitely available to people currently okay um so you know you're involved here you're pretty, pretty much uh the point man for for missouri here but it, it does sound like there are other new approach measures there is there are these same people these these uh, you know people holding fundraisers uh in other states you know to uh to help fund these different initiatives are they doing anything for us at the federal level do we see any movement there and that might be completely out of your wheelhouse but i mean if we're if we're if we're talking about multi-state initiatives, is there we also have a lobby in D.C. of these same people that are throwing the same kind of money at it? Yeah, that that does exist. Uh, I would say the, the the hurdle there is there's no there's no national initiative process. We can't go and gather signatures to vote on something at the federal level. Uh, if we could, we probably would have done that you know several years ago because sure. the, the popular support is definitely there at least for some some of these reforms. Uh, and uh, the issue is that, uh, I mean, to, to be uh, to put it very, very, uh, you know, uh, specifically, uh, the so I know the the uh, for instance the banking proposal that passed the House. And this is pretty minimal, you know, stuff here. This is just, hey, banks should be allowed to take money from uh, people that are in the legal cannabis markets. Uh, and it passed the House and it went to the Senate. And I can't remember the exact committee, but I think it is the, the banking committee. And that's headed up by Senator Mike Crapo from Idaho. Uh, and his basic response is, uh, hey, I hate this. And uh, so it's never going to I'm never going to bring it up for a vote. I'm never going to uh, have any discussion on it ever. Uh, and that's that's kind of, you know, in the in the Senate, especially these uh, the, the chairs are very, very powerful. Uh, and so if they don't want to have a debate on it, they don't have to. And so uh, kind of until either he's gone or there's change in the uh, the leadership of the Senate, 
that's that's unlikely to change and that's uh but the i you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of lobbying a lot of effort being put into trying to get get these things passed and it is getting better but there are still roadblocks like like senator crapo do you think the language uh maybe helps prop up the black market um you know because now that we can kind of just have our name on it i don't like it seems to be this such a gray area in some of it that we you're the libertarian guy that you are is it because they don't think bills like that will pass? Is that why the language isn't a little bit more Wild West? Or better yet, better yet, the other initiative that was maybe a little bit more inclusive, why is something like that thrown out by the Secretary of State? Like, what is that? that what is that barrier that's not going through? Does Thank the you. Secretary of State ultimately get to decide what rules we're playing by? So, uh, you know, that, that, that would have been the attorney general's office that made that decision there. And, uh, you know, I don't know specifically what it was, but some error as to form. Uh, and look, I mean, that happened to us the first time we submitted this. We, we had they said, hey, uh, there's this small error in form and you're going to have to change it or we're going to reject it. So we, changed, we refiled and resubmitted. And I mean, it's a fairly common thing. Uh, but you have to have, uh, you know, it, basically you need attorneys that have a lot of experience doing this uh, to make sure that doesn't happen repeatedly. Uh, because uh, I know that, uh, you know, last cycle, the Proposition C proposal was rejected three times before they finally got it through the process. It's a pretty ordinary thing. Uh, and it's just that's the that's the process. Uh, and now to get, you know, to say specifically what that was, that's a little bit beyond my understanding. But it's very technical. Like, no, if you're going to put this in the Constitution, you have to have this underlined here as opposed to bolded. I, like that's that's literally the sort of stuff that that this is. Uh, and so but the secretary of state's office also does have a very powerful role, like I was saying, with the, the ballot language. I mean, that was something, frankly, we were pretty concerned about because, uh, you know, Jay Ashcroft uh, is not not super friendly to this issue. If you if you recall that his father's time in office as the attorney general of the U.S., uh, I mean, he locked up Tommy Chong, you know, I mean, like this is. Uh, uh, and so we were definitely worried about, uh, you know, will they you know, kind of slant the ballot language to make it uh, make it difficult for us? I'm, this is just more of a curiosity than anything. Um, if you're working on a campaign like this or on past campaigns, does that preclude you from being involved? Uh, does that does that limit your involvement in the industry or in the potential ownership of the industry? No, uh, that doesn't uh, preclude that. Uh, you know, I, I definitely was uh, wrote a number of the applications for people through my consultancy. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'll be very forthright about that. That's a uh, uh, part of what my job is now. Uh, you know, I'll, uh, it's not something I actually when I started doing this, uh, I was totally just on the, the nonprofit ideological side of it. Uh, and I would absolutely continue doing that till the day I die. But, you know, when this passed, uh, people were saying, hey, <laughs> would you like to come work for me? And would you like to help write these applications? And I said, well, this is I'd be I'd be foolish to pass up that opportunity to you know get into something that I I love. I love all aspects of this. And so I've uh, you know, I've, I've I want to be involved in it as much as I can. Fair John, question. Thank you for answering that, John. You're the man. Um, I also want to say, what do you think about the Battlehawks, baby? Kaka. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so as I, as I mentioned when we were talking about this on Messenger, I have no idea. Uh, I, I oh, don't say that. It's be- political suicide, brother. You got to go with the cacao. Okay, listen, John, I know it's it's a, we got a busy couple weeks coming up. We're going to be at the BizCon. Uh, maybe yep. if you get we're a second, you can uh, sit down with us. We can do a little, little sit down, hash out any more questions maybe some sure. people have been coming up with. Um, and you know, maybe do a little round table or something, but yeah, uh, one thing you. I appreciate you do is you, you got in front of it. You answered some questions. Uh, I'm sure we could come up with some harder ones, but you've always been respectful of us. We're respectful of you. Uh, we appreciate everything yeah, you've done you to so lead us much. to this point, And we appreciate you answering the questions that we have for how, you tonight. How can people get a hold of you if they uh, want they to, come. or if you want to give that, what's your personal number? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if people want to go to the website for the campaign, it's uh mo for mo for, uh, newapproach.org uh, and then if they want to get in touch with me they can uh, still email me at john at newapproachmissouri.com awesome I'll put your personal uh, uh, number in a graphic yeah, put a later. Skype link up there <laughs> alright cool <laughs> All right, John thank you so much for your time and we'll be talking to you soon buddy alright sounds good thanks guys right,